This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Auth0, authentication made simple for developers. Modern authentication and identity can be hard, but Auth0 makes it easy. With Auth0, you can enable login with any social provider, have multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, and passwordless login all at the flip of a switch. Find out how to add authentication to your Angular 1 or 2 app in under 10 minutes at auth0.com forward slash Angular. Hello and welcome to Angular Air. On today's show, we're talking all about open source software. And to, to that end, we have some of the best in the business to discuss this topic, starting with Wesley Cho. Say hi, Wesley. Hello. <laughs> Jesus Rodriguez. Hello. And our good friend, Dimitri. Hi, guys. So we have a lot of topics we want to go over today. We actually had Wesley and Jesus on the show a couple months ago, and I think we were talking about so many things and got so deep into different areas that we decided to have them back and kind of have a round two. Um, so I kind of broken today's show into kind of three sections and three aspects of open source software that I, I wanted to go over. And of course, we could bring up as we kind of talk about anything you guys want to discuss as well. But basically breaking it into, you know, the maintainers of op open source software and a lot of the stuff that they have to go through and, and aspects of uh, things from the maintainer side. Then contributors, you know, uh, both people who are potential contributors and current contributors, some of the kind of protocols and best practices there and some of your thoughts around that. And then uh, finally, sort of company aspect of this, you know, the, the people who are sponsoring uh, open source projects and kind of sort of helping the ecosystem thrive. So let's start off on the maintainer side. I think everybody on this uh, panel, and myself included, are maintainers of one repository or another. Uh, so I think the thing that, I, this is sort of jumping right into the thick of things, one thing I, I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, the fact that all of us have full-time jobs. And, you know, we run our projects almost, you know, on the side. We're not directly making money off them. Uh, so what are, what are your guys' thoughts on how you balance, basically, your um, activities on a daily basis between, you know, the, the jobs that you're actually making money and you have responsibilities uh, and obligations towards and your the open source projects that you are maintaining and you, you know, because you're maintaining, you obviously have a sense of responsibility for that. Uh, Jesus, what, what are your thoughts on this? So I am a bit of a cheater because I do open source for work, but what I try to do is get in the weekends or the nights to do all the open source I can. I review my email and see which issues need to be addressed soon, but it's hard because sometimes you don't have too much time for that. What happens when, has there ever been a case, Jesus, uh, where you've had like a super emergency, uh, you know, for your project and you just couldn't get to it because you had so, like, just you're bogged down and stuff at work? Yeah, sometimes there is something that I need to fix right now. Um, that's like a king of pressure because you want your users to be happy, but you have your responsibilities. So try to do both, to be honest, because I mean, I could make something good for each part. I can make a fix for them and I can do the work, but thankfully that didn't happen that much for me. Wesley, how do you maintain your uh, balance in your life? Uh, for me, uh, work comes first. Um, as far as open source goes, um, Occasionally, I'll do something during work, but uh, most of the time, it's, uh, it's on my spare time. So weekends, nights, uh, weeknights, or uh, whatever I can spare a chance. And actually, Wesley, I forget. Do you have a family? Do you have any kids? Nope, I'm single, so I'm free of that responsibility at least. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was going to say that uh, you know when you suggest like kind of nights and weekends, I, I sort of do as well. But it does get tougher, I think, uh, once you. Have a have a family, and then like that gets eats up some of your time. Um, but 
Uh, no, I, I agree that uh, it's the same thing with me that I try to do uh, during during the day, obviously get so bogged down or, or uh, you're fully focused on your work stuff and then your spare time on the weekends or whatever, you try to fix as much as you can. Um, Although like some some workplaces, you'll have the advantage of where it's not as intense so that uh, you do have the room to... Uh to do maybe more open source during work too. It really depends on your situation, I think, ultimately. Yeah, that's true. I mean, actually, there's times when the stuff that you're doing at work sort of aligns with the stuff you're contributing. Uh, I, I, I feel like that can be rare, like where it totally aligns, but sometimes um, it is the case. Uh, Dimitri, what are your thoughts on this? Oh. Um, I'm tutor too, so I'm working on a source uh, in my work time. So, but I have a strong argument for my uh, for my guys and for those who pay for me uh, to keep things done because uh, open source is a part of our product. So I have to invest my time to keep things going and to move on. This is that's right. Sometimes. You're 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 doing contracting work, right, Dimitri? Yeah. Yeah, okay. most yeah, of the time. I, and, and I could totally see in, in that case, uh, and I see the same thing with like Lucas and uh, you know people that are doing contract work, the, the, the open source kind of totally aligns with it because if nothing else, it's like a marketing channel for you, right? Yep, completely. Cool. I, did I cut you off? What, what, what else were you going to say there, Dimitri? Oh, forgive me. Uh, actually, this is it. So basically, uh, I don't know last half of the year, uh, whatever I do is kind of, is contributing to open source. And there are two kinds of open source for me is reusable components and other part. And I was so lucky to agree with my customer to open source his products. So <laughs> whatever I do now is open source and kind of, and glad of it. So I can share the things we found with community. It's okay. kind of my, my, my motivation to do it. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, and I think that um, what I found is that uh, you, you don't, as you're, you keep going further both with your project uh, and work, you end up having less time, not more, right? Like even though I, I, at first, for myself, I always thought, oh, okay, once I get over this current stuff at work, then I'll have more time to, but in actuality, you have less, right? So I think one of the solutions in the, the other thing I wanted to hear some of your guys' thoughts on is, you know, the solution sort of is getting other people involved, right? Like you aren't going to be able to do everything. So what types of things do you guys do to get other people involved in your open source projects? And, and maybe this one I'm going to throw uh, Chris, who is the maintainer of UI Router, just joined. Hi, Chris. Hello, everybody. Uh, so, Chris, did you hear my question? Like, what, what do you do to get other people involved in the UI router project? Yeah, that's uh, that's an actually interesting topic that's very relevant to me right now. I'm looking, we're actually looking for people to be involved in the UI router project. Um, so, I think one of the things to do is to is to understand that everybody has a different um, they have a different perspective on your project. They have different skills that they can bring to the table, and they have different um, things that they're interested in. So uh, like some people might just be really interested in doing things like triaging. Um, and so, you know, it, if you take that into a consideration, um, when somebody comes into your project and they start talking about things, try to figure out how can they possibly fit into your project. Um, an example of that recently uh, a gentleman named Marco Otto. He tweeted me on Twitter about uh, UI Router for React because I created a little proof of concept for it. And I said, hey, are you interested in, you're interested in UI Router, you're interested in React, like what can we do? And um, so I just invited him essentially to come in and start hacking on that. And, um, you know, we're now in the process of actually creating that. That's awesome. Hey, hey, one thing on that, Chris. Uh, so, he can't, comes in, and, and it's great, actually, when you have people that are enthusiastic already, and you don't have to, like, convince them, <laughs> spend a lot of time convincing them to do something. But then there's the secondary issue of, like, you know, 
a lot of times it's very rare to find someone who just can jump in and, and just figures it out all on their own. Um, like, so you have to spend some of your time sort of helping them to learn the project, get into it and that type of thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, so how do you, I guess, prioritize or like, um, just deal with that time management issue of like, I want more contributors, but I don't have any time to like, uh, help them out. Like what's your own kind of personal like time management, uh, tricks or, or how you basically approach things? I think um, I do as much as I can, but not, uh, I try not to do too much to get somebody involved. Um, so I've had a number of people contact me directly and say, hey, how can I help? And so I have a list of things. You know, we have docs, we have examples that we need written, just a blog post, whatever it might be. So I'll throw that list out there, kind of see if any of any of the things on the list are something that somebody's interested in. Uh, if they do, if they give me good feedback on that, then I'll take the next step and say, okay, well, you're interested in writing blogs. Well, here's, you know, this is kind of hoping to build a blogging platform built into UI Router's main website. So I'll say, here's what we've got so far. Um, can you take it the next step? So basically it, it has to be a conversation, a back and forth, um, between somebody who's interested in contributing and the, the main team in order to get them more involved. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that you're touching on but maybe didn't say explicitly is that you can, I feel like, spend waste your time or, or spin your wheels a lot, rather, uh, trying to, like, help everybody along. Like, not that you, you couldn't and can't, or uh, not that you shouldn't help people as much as you can, um, but the fact is that there are a large, a lot of people who truly want to be able to help, but then they can't for one reason or another. Um, and so you almost have to have some way of figuring out, you know, whether people truly can uh, contribute and, and are able to kind of um, to cross that sort of mental barrier to to do that. And I guess it's a tricky thing of like, how do you gauge whether um, like should you be spending more time to get the people over that kind of mental hurdle or versus letting them get over it and then help them. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, Wes or, or Jesus, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Yeah. What I prefer to do is if the guy or gal has interest, they will show it. So I try to help them to do stuff. If, if they create a um, issue, Hey, this is broken. So I always ask, do you want to fix it? I can guide you on how to fix it. Um, if that person is really interested and wants to join the team, they can join the team. If after that they have problem or they can ask, hey, go, how can I make merge this? Or how I can make multiple requests to have more commits? I can help them afterwards. The important thing here is willing to work on the project. That's the most important thing. Knowledge can be yeah, and just to add on that, uh, as a, another aspect, sometimes uh, I'll keep in mind the issues that are easier to uh, to do, and um, sometimes I'll uh, I'll go spam around Slack, or I think I've done IRC before as well, but uh, try to get people to contribute if they're interested in doing open source. Like if they've never contributed before, uh, sometimes I'll walk through the process of like how to uh, how to follow our commits to. Um, was a commit message guidelines and all that and get everything good and tidy for uh, pull request. Yeah, you know, the uh, the former host of Angular Air, who I uh, can't remember his name right now. Can't see that. Uh, Kent. Who? Who is that? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, he, he's big into that first-timers only tag on issues in GitHub. And it, this is actually a good segue into, like, sorry, I accidentally hit the mute button. Uh, maintainer hacks to um, manage your app. So, so yeah, sure. Like, uh, I, I do think that's a good idea. First timers tag, you know, that, that encourages people to join. Uh, one other, uh, I mean, and I've been interested in hearing some of the other hacks you guys have, have seen or, or done yourself. But one thing I wanted to uh, bring up that I saw the other day, which uh, to get some of your thoughts on, is uh, I forgot who who did this, but someone. I uh, thought it was a good idea to just turn off GitHub issues altogether and only allow for PRs uh, with the thinking that, uh, you know, okay, he wants to encourage people that 
you know, if you want to change something, you should like, okay, something's broken, you should submit a test that's broken, or like a PR with a test that's broken, or whatever, and kind of get, and I understand the thinking, but there's this whole big discussion online, and people upset, actually, that thinking that that was detrimental, um, and not sort of his intended thing. What, what, what are your guys' thoughts? Dimitri, what, what do you think about this? Yeah, it was kind of fun discussion about disabling issues. Uh, from my experience, like maybe one or two percent at the topmost of usage of your of users of your framework will contribute. So disabling issues will just um, they will find a way to say their no to the Twitter or some kind of Slack channel just to know about some kind of issues, they will find a way to report it. So I suppose guys can uh, <clears throat> tell us a lot about direct emails they get with issues, even if issues enabled on GitHub. So yeah, it was a fun talk. But from other side, uh, he, it was kind of a nice decision from uh, like time management. He saved his time on um, answering the same issues once again and again and he can contribute more not to waste his time on uh, reading the issues and most probably he knew about him about the, those issues but from other side uh, i'm more like a fan of health open source by nogs so it, it will not help to really get more contributors to your to your library because uh, if you disable issues you disable an option to just go through and try to find some kind of, you know, maybe this issue already was solved and you just need to find out some kind of solution and issues and you, does, you don't, don't provide this way, uh, I suppose all guys can get used to go to the issues and search for something and you just disable it. Not cool. <laughs> different, just shutting it off cold, like it's one thing encouraging people to, to submit more PRs, but just sort of shutting off other channels probably isn't, the best thing, although I'm sure when uh, that came out, Jesus, you, you were, uh, at least part of you were like, well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, did, you, did you guys see that article? What, what did you guys think? You have no clue about it. <laughs> <laughs> I have an opinion on the topic. You can't uh, shut down issues because people need to tell you about issues. Some issues can't be uh, solved with pull requests because they perhaps don't have the time, the knowledge, or anything else. But I use some projects, big projects in the past. We have issues, and we have the way to say, hey, you have this wrong. So if I can tell you that this is wrong, that's not helpful, because that will be wrong for me and for everyone else. But no one can report it. You have to find it yourself. That's wrong idea. Yeah, I think I, I think I mostly agree with that. Um, I, I think that there's a certain level of familiarity that you kind of need to have in a project in order to create um, a meaningful pull request. Sometimes you don't, uh, sometimes an issue also isn't just saying, hey, there's, there's this bug and issues open because somebody wants to have a discussion about maybe a different way um, that your project could approach things, uh, maybe some new features, and to say like, "Hey, is this within the, is this within the um, the vision that you guys currently have or not?" Um, so I think that I think that straight up shutting off issues, at least for a project like UI Router, just I don't think it would be uh, a reasonable thing for us to do. Um, it would be nice to, like you said, uh, have more time. Uh, to, to spend actually coding instead of you know, triaging issues. And uh, it, it does take up a lot of our time, definitely. Um, but I don't think that turning them off would be the answer for me. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, also, I think, go ahead, Russ. Uh, I just want to add, uh, um, <clears throat> sometimes uh, you really need lengthy discussions. Uh, you need feedback. Uh, like, for example, somebody finds something that clearly looks like an issue, but they don't necessarily know where the real fix needs to be in, for example. They need uh, maybe sometimes some input decision from the maintainers as far as what to do because there's a lot of complexity involved. What is the intention? What side effects uh, 
one choice versus another might have. Uh, sometimes it's very involved. And um, also, you also want these discussions sort of in the open so that there's a record of it so that anybody else looking can see what the uh, intentions are of the maintainers and, um, and see where maybe a better approach might be able to be found to fix it. Sometimes it also ends up being something where you can figure out a workaround, for example. Uh, so um, having these discussions out in the open, and something like Twitter is not a good venue for that. Twitter limits the number of characters, and people tend to tweet when they're more angry at something also. Uh, more have more of a tendency to do that. Um, email is a very closed medium, unless you like copy and paste uh, whole emails. Some people might not appreciate that though. Uh, so um, I feel like GitHub issues is the natural right place to at least have the discussions. Maybe something needs to be done to make it more palatable for everybody involved. I don't know. Um, but I feel like any sort of attempt to, um, was it to uh, motivate people to uh, to contribute more? Maybe should start with something else <laughs> instead of uh, just like um, I feel like it's more of a knee-jerk reaction maybe to do something like that or something very drastic. Yes, I think I agree with you on that. Um, and if it's just to get people to. Uh, contribute to your project, I just don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like that's the right way to do it. And I don't feel like that's going to be the highest quality of contributions either. I think you, uh, you might get pull requests that are very narrowly scoped that, um, that can't take into account the other users, that sort of thing. And the side effects and, uh, and all that other stuff that you mentioned. I agree. Before moving on to the contributors, one last thing is, uh, I mean, what else do we miss that, uh, do you guys have any um, special tricks or any, anything else as maintainers that you guys think would be valuable for other people running open source projects to know about? Yes, one, how to okay. sleep less. That's the only trick. With sleep less. <laughs> yes, but you can do more. Oh, that's true. Although, actually, uh, I, I don't necessarily um, follow this, but uh, they say that if you sleep more, you're more productive and get more done. Uh, I, I, although I've read studies and I sort of, like, I, I hear the words, and it goes into my brain. Uh, it's one of those things that I've never actually been able to do. <laughs> like, I, I usually go on, like, four or five hours of sleep. Uh, so it's... Uh, yeah, it can, that, that can be a problem in itself. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. More hours in the day is a lot, a lot of times the uh, ultimate solution. So, okay, let's move on to the contributor side of things. And I, I guess before we get into, like, um, the protocols for contributing, and, and I, I really want to hear your, some of your guys' like ideas for um, some best practices there, What let's about talk about motivation, where... Not everybody, even though some people may right from the start say, I want to contribute to this project, other people aren't necessarily sure why they would in the first place. So what do people get out of being a contributor? That's a difficult question because that's depending on the person. You can think, okay, I am a new developer and I want to learn more about Angular, so I want to participate on an Angular project. Other person can say, okay, I like to write documentation, so this project doesn't have much, so I can't put my effort. Other people can do it because, okay, I want to be awesome and I want to be famous, so I work, work for a project. I mean, each people have their own motivation, they have to find it, and if they do, just work on one, but you can't force any people to have any motivation. You can say, hey, join me and you will get glory because that's not true. They have one, if they have it and they want to work on a project, welcome. Oh, you mean it's not glorious to fix uh, documentation typos? and? No, that for me is, but the other thing, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna break for a moment for a message from Angular Class. This episode of Angular Air is sponsored by Angular Class, 
If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques, or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. No, I, I mean, I agree with a lot you're saying. I, I, actually, one thing that I tell people starting out, even though this is like a hard for thing for them to do sometimes, is that you know nobody's stopping you from being a contributor. Like that's the great thing about open source is that you know when you're starting off to be a software developer, like right out of college or just learning on your own, there are some barriers there. It's tough to get your first job. As 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 great as the need there is for developers, for junior developers, it's actually still kind of tough to like break into it sometimes. And the great thing about open source is that you don't have to ask people's permission. So if you, as long as you kind of dedicate yourself and dedicate the time, like I, I think it's it's something that is a great way to get a foothold, even if you don't uh, have even your first job uh, uh, doing software development. You know, learn some of the basics, you know, as part of the open source, and then you can kind of build off of that. I mean, what, what do you guys think about that? Uh, maybe not this time will be me because uh, I have one dude in my company who actually was a manager uh, by sales and company with like some kind of techniques. Uh, and what he started to do is to read about testing. He was afraid to program, even not to contribute. He was even just afraid to write some kind of code. So he started to help to open source by testing their new releases. And uh, then he was like producing a lot of issues, but he was kind of good in it because he was reading the books, like really book nerd. And uh, after that, guys invited him to kind of, there, there are different kind of contributions. Uh, you could write code, you can help with documentation, you can create issues and tests. And what is, is for me the most important stuff, the guys who help answer the questions. Because there are a lot of same questions all the time that I cannot do this stuff. And it's like 50 times again, you will see this question again from different kind of interpolations. And there are some kind of guys who afraid to write a code, but they could be really helpful answering those kind of questions because they save a lot of time to those who write code. After that, we have some kind of chat and I have involved, invited him to my company. Uh, no matter I knew he was like not even in junior, more like intern, but I have seen his intentions not even what he was done or what he learned, but his intentions was clear and he was willing to learn. So, and after several years after that, he's a pretty good developer right now. Still afraid to code, but <laughs> anyway, he's pretty good. Oh man, I, I gotta say, it is the best feeling when somebody you don't know, who never saw, answers a question on either whether it's the uh, GitHub issues or Gitter or Slack or whatever. Uh, that is the best, <laughs> definitely. Um, okay, okay. Um, you know, one, one thing I want to get into here is, uh, you know, Chris, maybe uh, if, if you're open to this, I, I'd be interested in hearing what your guidelines are for people contributing in terms of like, okay, I, I want to contribute something to UI Router. What are the, what do I do in order to do that? And, and then maybe like off of what what the protocols you bring up, and maybe we'll we'll talk about some variations that we've seen in other projects and and uh, along those lines. Yeah, um, maybe I'll start by just explaining how I got involved with UI Router project as a maintainer. Um, when I first started coding on UI Router, I had an itch that I needed scratched, and um, UI Router project didn't. Uh, didn't have the, the mental model uh, that, I, that I needed to accomplish something in my app. So I started hacking on it, and I submitted a PR um, a few years back. And it was a fairly, uh, it, it changed a lot of the way that UI Router would have worked. Um, but it was something that I needed for my purposes. And so I coded it. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't merged because it didn't fit with the, the, the project's um, vision. Uh, and so I created it as a plugin, as a side project, and I started developing it um, for other people as well, because I, I found an itch that I knew I needed scratched, um, and I figured that other people might have the same thing. So I built this side project, UI Router Extras, and eventually uh, um, uh, the core team kind of saw that and said, hey, are you interested in getting involved? 
And so I said, okay, I'll get involved. Um, so that's kind of how I, I got involved as the maintainer. I started out with something that I, I felt like I needed. Um, I proposed it to the UI router project. Um, and they, you know, we discussed it at length. There's at a, that time, uh, Nate was the head of the project. Is that right? Yeah, Nate's still the the head of the project. Um, he's just not as active as he used to be. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's still on part of the team. Um, but I think that's a I think that's going to be a pretty common pattern for people. They they see this thing that they really enjoy using. They want to improve it, um, and so they submit a PR. And if you're if you're active within the issues, if you're active um, commenting and and helping other people, you know the maintainers quite often will notice that. Um, and that can be, I mean, like you said, you don't have to ask permission to to get involved in a, in a project. Um, it can be as simple as answering somebody's question, just like you said, uh, and that's really really helpful uh, for maintainers um, to have. Other, not just other people uh, working through those issues and, and watching them and you know, that sort of thing, but also to hear other voices that have maybe a different perspective on things. That's really, really helpful uh, to us just to hear the, the, the conversation. Um, in the UI router project, we don't really have any super uh, strict guidelines on how to contribute to the project, the only one that we really have um, is that we have a, a specific commit message that we require because that's how we build a change log. And we also require that if you're fixing a bug that you have to write a failing test case for that bug. Um, and that's about it. Uh, a lot of times we will iterate uh, with a PR. If there's a PR that's fixing a bug, um, we'll iterate with the person who who initiated that PR and will say, this thing maybe could be done better in this other way. Um, and then they'll you know, update their PR. Or if it's something that we think we can just fix, we'll take, the, we'll take what they have and um, you know, fix it for them. But other than that, we really don't have super strict guidelines. OK, that's good to know. Um, and, and I do like it being somewhat loose, like it gives you flexibility to kind of adjust it. Uh, I do know some people have like much more strict, like if you contribute to the Angular core, um, for example, you have to, they want you to create uh, your own branch, you know, um, and when the commit message has to be formatted in a very specific way, they have like the actual different types of like your categories and, and uh, what the format should be. And then, you know, you submit your PR based off, off of that. Um, I'm probably missing a couple other things, but uh, they will like kind of push things back to you if you don't kind of have it set up in that way because they have like a lot of their automation built off of having things in that you know right same format. So, uh, Wes, what what about you? Does your process uh, differ from Chris's at all? I mean, it's largely the same. Although uh, sometimes in practice, I actually will help uh, get them over the last uh, hump by uh, doing some Git wizardry and uh, squashing some of the, the commits, rebasing for them. Um, if it's safe, I mean, uh, I have to be very careful, make sure all the tests pass and all that. Um, but yeah, we generally want tests for uh, new features or bug fixes if possible. But uh, what is it? UI Bootstrap, at least, interfaces more with the actual um, like DOM nodes. So um, when it comes to UI stuff, sometimes it's really hard to test stuff. And so we actually don't have a uh, setup for I mean, a setup that's very conducive for certain types of testing when it comes to the UI, so we can't do some of it, unfortunately. But by and large, uh, yeah, uh, we pretty much follow the same stuff. But uh, yeah, I'll also help out amending the commit messages and all that, uh, just so it doesn't get hold up, because I know uh, there's a lot of contributors or potential contributors who get a little uh, frustrated sometimes when you have uh, when a pull request gets bogged down by... Uh, more, I guess, minute processes like these. Yeah, you know, that is one thing I, I didn't appreciate until I started working on a lot of the Angular stuff in Angular Universal is that, that sort of clean Git history. With my projects at work, there's only a couple of developers, and so we, we to be honest, largely don't care about that. We, we just merge over each other and commit anything. I mean, whatever. It, it all kind of eventually gets, gets all together. Um, 
but it is kind of interesting when you are kind of focused on trying to make sure that everything, you know, when you submit a PR and, and you merge it back, that it gets attributed to the right user and all of that. So, um, yeah, okay, that's interesting. And we're going to take a quick break to hear about ThoughtRam. ThoughtRam, extend your memory. Want to get up and running with the Angular framework, but don't have the time to read through all the documentation and tutorials on the internet? ThoughtRam's Angular Masterclass may be perfect for you. Check it out today at thoughtram.io forward slash training. Welcome back. Let's pick it up where we left off. Jesus, what about you? Do you have any differences with the way that you, you prefer the process to work? No, I pretty much agree with Wes. We have our own rules, which are the Angular rules about commits, titles, and stuff, but that's mostly for the changelog because the changelog will read every commit message to generate itself. But mostly what we say, we try people to do it right, like, hey, please change the title, or please squash your commits. But at the end, if they don't know how to do it, we do it because you can make someone say, hey, I won't accept your PR until you do everything right. If he can't, I do it. Yeah, I mean, this gets back to, again, that sort of balance between you do want to, like, teach people and kind of push them to do things the right way, but you don't want to block people from contributing. So, uh, yeah, I've seen kind of both sides of that where probably most of the time you have to gauge where the person's coming from, like, on an individual basis. Like, is this the person that you can, like, is interested in learning and, and you can push to kind of redo their PR to kind of set it up the right way. And then from then on, they're, they're good. Um, or are they just going to kind of abandon things? In which case, like you're saying, hey, Zeus, you just kind of do it yourself and move forward. I think we all, I think we all kind of are saying the same thing, that if there's a contribution uh, that's waiting, uh, a PR that's pending, and it looks like it's quality code, but, you know, they're having problems with the process, well, you know, that's not, that's not a big deal. I think we all are kind of agreeing that we'll just – do whatever it takes to get that PR merged. Um, if there's some, if there's some bigger issues with the PR, like uh, perhaps you know you, you might not know that it causes some other use case to fail, um, then you know I might uh, I might send it back and say hey try again, or I might just try to massage it and actually change the code um, so that it does account for all the other use cases that you know the the user didn't know about those things. It's not not their fault. Um, so yeah. So Dimitri, last question on, on the contributor side before we move to the company side of things. Um, what are your thoughts on a code of conduct that it's typically, well, actually, uh, there's a lot of projects that don't define this at all. Like that, uh, you know, it's most of the time people are, are good natured and there's no issues or whatever. But I have seen things where it can get hairy. So uh, there are some projects that just specifically define, you know, just in terms of what is acceptable and what is not for behavior, both in issues and PRs and whatever. Um, what, what are your thoughts on code of conducts? I would say that you are pretty lucky to not have seen uh, but but input, even as a pull request. I did not have seen it to my repositories, but I have seen a lot of tweets from guys like Todd or anyone else who has a lot of stuff what has it produced and guys could be really annoying with saying not really nice words inside of his contribution to the readme about the after this package and this became a kind of problem and because uh, github lately even provided an option to organization maintainers to block users from accessing this organization from issues from cloning from creating pull requests. So uh, like the size of the problem kind of a bit, it, it's, a bit big, it's a bit bigger than we can see it. Because if, if it would not so, GitHub wouldn't provide this functionality so fast, really. And code of conduct is pretty good because uh, if guys will see that you're not only uh, requiring features but providing them, like if you want to work with us, if you want to work with other part of community, please be nice. So don't hesitate to make, be a nice person, at least at GitHub. <laughs> so this is it. 
do, do any of you other guys uh, explicitly have code of conducts, or is it more kind of implicit, you know, the, the be nice thing? <laughs> Uh, UI Router Project does not have a code of conduct. Um, I, I think if we did have a code of conduct, it would literally be nuts. Yeah, that's probably a, a good one. It, it just, it, it, I don't think it, it, to be honest, happens that often. Where, uh, you know, generally speaking, if you're in open source and you, especially if you're contributing, you sort of already have the mindset of giving and, and kind of community and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I have seen. Especially when, when there is like an issue um, that is it can be contentious, like uh, people are kind of debating over, and, and they don't they kind of step on each other's toes. That's probably the most where I've, I've seen it is is if it's like an issue that's like not that people are debating, and and then it kind of gets heated somewhat. Um, but generally speaking, uh, people are pretty good about stuff. All right, let's jump to the company side of things, and you know for this. Uh, Jesus, what is your thoughts on a company's, what, the way they should be thinking about open source? Because I think different companies think about open source in different ways. Some of them see it as like a security risk, right? And, and they try to avoid it, like the, some of the bigger banks and that type of thing. Um, some people embrace it, like Netflix, or, or uh, where they actually have people kind of contribute. Some of the, they, they actively want their developers to contribute time. And a lot of people are in between. You know, what are your thoughts on this? So once I heard someone saying, as soon as you pull a dependency in your project, that dependency is no part of your project. Your project needs it to live because if that project does wrong, your project will suffer it. We all know what happened with left path. It disappeared one day, half the internet broke. So if a dependency is doing good, you are doing good too. So you can't expect expect the library to work by yourself and think, okay, they will fix all the issues for us. You as a company needs to collaborate. You can go to the issue tracker of a dependency you use and say, hey, we are a big, big company on a big, big project and we need this feature for yesterday because we need it. Okay, you can need it, but our dependency is inside your project. You need our code to work. So imagine it like a different feature of your program. You can have one guy, two guys come to the, the library and talk with us. Hey, we need that. Do you, you think that's possible? Yes. Okay, we are going to create a pull request and send it to you. Or if you can have any manpower to do it, you can say, okay, we can pay you this kind of money to do it. Do you agree? Yes, so we do it. But what you can't do is think that libraries are maintained by goblins or something that magically, boom, new feature, thank you. No, that's part of your code. If we do wrong... Was that, was that goblins? Do you yes. <laughs> <laughs> like magic. That's awesome. I mean, so if your library or your project depend on a library, that's part of you. If we do wrong, your project will do wrong. If we have a major issue, your application will have that major issue. So please, you can spend money or you can spend some manpower, but you can't simply say, hey, you have to be thankful for to us because we are using your product. No, you need to work with us. That is what I think. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I, I do think um, with what you're saying, depending on the company, there, there are things that the people who are sort of on the other side would argue against. You know, so like, uh, and, and there's different aspects to this. So. Like let's let's take the far extreme of you know a financial institution uh, like uh, Goldman Sachs or Wells Fargo or whatever. So, and both those companies do use Angular, right? But I I know that internally um, it, it's it, there's issues because they they have to a lot of times the developers have to fight uh, the company in order to just be able to use it in the first place. 
contributing, forget about it. Like they, they are like banned, like from from contributing at all. And a lot of the times, I, the um, reason that when I talk to them about this, uh, they feel it's a mix of, and, and this may be just excuses or whatever, but uh, you know, part of it is like a security thing. They feel like uh, if they are contributing their code externally, that it presents some sort of security risk. Um, and exposes them, or in some way exposes them. So, like they're just like in their minds, they're just trying to like be uh, safe. I think the other aspect of it is just them, um, and this goes beyond, I guess, financial institutions. But like uh, them thinking that their developers are going to be like wasting time. Like in other words, that they should be contributing their time to just their internal projects. Hey, and I'm not saying those are right. Like this, this is what I hear from from people. So, what do you guys say to those two things? Let me say this quick. If I can spend my free time on making a feature, you can do that as well. Because that's interesting for you and also interesting for me. So you can make a little time for it. Or we can do it together. I don't mind. But you need to put something. Also, it can help companies themselves because let's say a feature is not in a particular library and they have to hack around it in order to actually implement that feature. But if it makes sense for it to be in the library, then it would be in the company's best interest to actually contribute it back upstream because, first of all, then, I mean, everybody else gets the benefit, including other teams that you have, but then it also potentially reduces the complexity, improves performance. There's a lot of reasons why it would be good to have uh, companies contribute features back to the libraries. I think... Um I think a, a lot of companies look at it from a from an ROI perspective, and if they don't see that there's going to be some sort of return, um, they're not going to authorize their employees to spend uh, company time fixing these sort of issues. Uh, I know I've seen that in in places that I worked um, for sure, and you know it's kind of a it's as an open source maintainer. Um, it's kind of a hard pill to swallow uh, that you know your product is not. Uh, being supported by the, the people that are using it, um, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't blame companies for not uh, actually spending money on, um, you know, maintaining open source software. Uh, the companies that do, I, I think that's fantastic, and I really like that. Um, well, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Oh, go ahead, respond. Well, I, I was just going to say, so on the other end of it, like w w the companies that do, like you're saying, if a company is on the other side and, and wants to contribute and they're all for it, uh, what do you guys think is the ultimate setup? Like, should a company have dedicated resources? Like, so there's different variations of this that I've seen. Should a company have like, okay, these two guys are just our open source, like contributors, like they're, they're mostly focused on this particular project or should it just be sort of everybody kind of just a part of what they do? Right? What do you guys think? What do you think, Chris? I would love to know what works. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I think from, from my perspective, I would prefer that um, the people that are contributing to the open source project are uh, interested in that project, that they're, um, they're actual users of it, that they're uh, interested in the product itself, not just in something that they do you know, on a Friday um, because their employer said that they had to. I'd rather have uh, more buy-in from the individual. Um, so I would... I guess I'm, I'd like to say that maybe it would work if the, if the employer gave permission um, for an employee to work on a project that they're already invested in. I think that it depends on the project. If you're using a big, big project like Y-Router or Y-Bootstrap, perhaps you can have the manpower because that needs a lot of time, research and something. If you are a big company, you can sponsor it. I say, hey, I pay you X and you take care of issues. But in the case of a little library that you use for notification or date picker, something small that you can spend a dime of it. I get issues like, hey, sorry, I get this issue that I cannot make a free production because it depends on big things. And in my company, we're getting that issue. Then on those small projects, you can have 
the manpower to say, hey, let me try to reproduce it on my project, make some fixes on your library, if I fix it, I make a pull request. So depending on the size of the project, you can say, okay, we pay money and you make it work, or I can fix those issues for you. So Wes, how about um, if you were starting a new company today, uh, a product-based company, uh, let's say, and not financial, nothing like too secretive or whatever, where you have to kind of keep everything closed source, what would be the criteria that you would have for which of your own internal code you would open source versus not? Like, what, how would you determine that in an ideal case? I mean, ideally, I would want uh, pretty much all the code to be open sourceable, um, except maybe something dealing with infrastructure and, of course, private keys and such. <laughs> I mean, because then uh, it can easily be vetted, okay, um, if somebody finds something wrong, it's very clear, and then you can fix it, and the record of that fix is uh, up there. It could also give a guarantee also to any company using the product that, hey, uh, this is, uh, it's not secure by obscurity, it's actually like, it's following practices vetted by everybody else. Yeah, and there's definitely some companies that I've seen out there that follow that. Um, but I have also seen where, I'm not sure if this is just a, mar a marketing or recruiting thing rather for them, but they sort of quote unquote open source uh, their, their software, uh, meaning that it's sure it's on GitHub maybe, but they don't really allow for external contributors, and you know it, it's it's not really something that other people would use. It's just more as like okay, we're we're sort of putting uh, open source term on it just to say that it's sort of out there, but not really. Um, so because I do think that it is to truly open source the the stuff that you have, it requires like I mean a serious effort and then sort of top down dedication to doing that as an organization, right? Yeah, I'd say I agree with that. Okay. Um, we're going to near the top of our time. I just uh, noticed it's been flying by here today. Uh, so we do have one question on Twitter for you guys. And uh, Dimitri, how about, uh, you can feel this one. Um, you know, I, it sounds like this guy, uh, Atashe, uh, wants to get started with open source, and what are some good projects uh, to get started with? You know, some good JavaScript-based open source projects to get started with if, if he wants to start contributing uh, to open source. Oh, I would rather say that where you should not start, like don't try to start your contributing with Yeslint, because Zakas is a really nice writer, but it's really hard to convince him to get something. But to be honest, uh, there are, you can search for it, and there are labels, help wanted. And you can use a global search, then filter by JavaScript, and you will get like huge list of things that are required. Get anyone. But you will not be really performant in solving those issues if you are not interested in their solving. So try to find the tool you use, choose it, go to the repository, find any issue, help wanted or whatever, and just help with contribution, with contribution, docs, answering issues, whatever. I think it's a good suggestion. Any, any other guys have uh, suggestions for repositories that people should take a look at, oh, JavaScript-based libraries? The library that he likes. If he likes bootstrap, he can do bootstrap things. He likes routing, routing things. You can't, I mean, the suggestion is something you like because if you don't like the project, you are going to get bored and that's not the point. You can get, okay, I like this project, perhaps you know about the project. You can, you can go to the issues and fix all the problems they have, questions, perhaps fix the documentation, and from there, everything you want. Also, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> I'm just going to echo uh, what Dimitri and uh, Jesus said, that, you know, get involved with something that you're interested in, something that you uh, don't, I wouldn't recommend jumping in on a project that you've never heard of before. Uh, jump in on something that you have an actual interest in using that you've used in the past. 
So my recommendation actually is a little on the different side. I guess it would depend on um, how much patience you have also because my first contribution was actually to Angular 1. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, I felt like I learned a lot um, when I just was starting out the development. Um, so, I mean, it really depends. I, I would recommend a major project if possible. Um, take a look at the issues, see if you can figure something out, and then just uh, try fixing it or whatever. And if you fail, you fail. That's okay. Um, Let's jump it's in. Part of the process. Well, yeah, that, that brings up one thing that we talked about the last show you guys were on, which is like, is through fa failure is a good thing. Um, Scott Moss actually talked about this in his ngconf talk that you learn by failure, right? That you should embrace that and not be afraid of doing something bad because once you do then you're okay that's not right now i know the right thing to do and you kind of go from there uh i mean if, if you kept making the same mistake that's like a different <laughs> that's a different problem that uh you can deal with but definitely just a, a one-time mistake and then learn from it and move on that's that's a good thing all right, let's move on to picks. Uh, I think it's been a great show talking to you about it, guys. I could talk to you guys all day about this, um, but we'll maybe have to meet again uh, later this year for in another round. So, uh, Chris, uh, why don't we start with you on the, on the picks? Sure, I have two picks. Um, this is related to JavaScript fatigue. There's a new framework out I'd like you all to check out. It's called vanilla-js.com. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, the second pick, my second pick is uh, at ng-conf, we got Rubik's Cubes as part of our swag, and I'm learning, relearning how to solve Rubik's Cubes. And there's a really cool tutorial um, that you can look up on YouTube. It's Rito's Hunting Story, R-I-D-O, Rito's Hunting Story for F2L. Look that up if you're interested in Rubik's. Cool. Make sure you uh, paste the links in the chat, and we'll, I'll make sure those are in the notes. We'll do. Dimitri. As for me, I had two picks, uh, but one of them I already said is uh, healthy open source, just in this case, because I have to read it again and I fall in love with it again. And other, it's not a thing uh, and not a post. It's people who helped me a lot this week. I wasn't even expected so so much of help, really. But those guys are really awesome. So if you see me, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. Hey, Zeus. So I just have one pick, but it's an awesome one. I recommend another podcast called Sustaining Open Source Software by Mike, the guy from Sidekick, which explains how not to get burned on open source and how to make it more, uh, how to get some money, how to do better. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I love that podcast, too. I, I've listened to it a number of times before, so I would second plus one that vote. Uh, Wes? Uh, what type of picks are these supposed to be? Because uh, I, I actually am a bit blank right now. Uh, you can pick anything. You can pick uh, what you had for lunch today. <laughs> what did you have for lunch, for lunch today, Wes? Well, I'm smelling lunch right now. <laughs> but uh, what is it? Um, so there was an interesting article I read in the past couple of days. Uh, there was a maintainer that, uh, or um, the guy who's contributed a lot to the Rails community, he posted an article called My Time with Rails is Up. And uh, I found that a very interesting read about uh, something that it's not, well, it's not like JavaScript itself. It's, um, it's something that uh, you sort of see in a lot of like uh, um, communities, so, revolving around uh, frameworks, uh, languages, and such. And I guess it, it gives an interesting perspective as far as um, what might, what's happening in another development uh, ecosystem. Yeah, I love those types of talks. I, I think that my experience in seeing like I'm leaving X for Y or whatever is that um, they're a little skewed. You have to like read them with a grain of salt because obviously that person went through like a bad experience. Um, but they're usually pretty interesting. Yeah, so I, I'll definitely read that article. For me, 
Oh, sorry, Wes, what were you saying about it? Oh, well, uh, this guy actually, like, has contributed a bunch to the ecosystem and has uh, has used uh, Rails for quite a while, so um, he, um, I mean, he has probably a lot of perspective on something like that. Yep, definitely. So for me, uh, my, well, two picks, I'll post, uh, and actually all you guys should post uh, links to your repos that I'll make sure are in there so that uh, people can contribute for me, Tangular Universal, UI Router, NG Bootstrap, UI Bootstrap. You know, I, I, we'll make sure that those are in the notes. Um, but the other one I was going to have here is um, Taro uh, posted a really good article um, yesterday, I believe it was, talking about the things that excite me about Angular 2. And uh, for people that have been heavily involved in Angular 2, I don't think that he necessarily brings up um, anything new per se, but I like the way he kind of frames the thinking behind um, the things that are important and then how you should be evaluating uh, you know, Angular 2 or any other um, framework uh, for that uh, matter. So I highly recommend it. If, if people ask you or, or you wonder yourself, you know, why Angular 2, how, how does it compare to something else, uh, this, is, this is a good place to start, I think. I, I'll include that in the show notes. All right, guys, uh, next week we're going to have Jim Cummings on to talk about GraphQL. So it's going to be a fun one. And then uh, after that, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in the middle of formulating the next season of shows, so I'll be posting those in the next week or so. Uh, so stay tuned. Thanks a lot, everyone, and have a great week. Bye. Bye.